All right, take your Bibles. Go to First Peter chapter 1. It's going to be an interesting morning this morning. We've got the birds singing. Uh, we've got the sun slowly creeping towards me. It's kind of like my hourglass, so you can keep track of that. Actually, I should start my timer. I know this surprises you. I do pay attention to a timer every once and again. <laughs> pay attention is probably a very loose term to what I do. I start a timer. I don't necessarily pay attention to it. How's that? Um, in First Peter chapter 1 this morning, we're continuing in our series on First Peter, talking about being different. Um, and this morning is is kind of a it's a unique uh, passage. So let me let me let me start uh, by reading our passage together. First Peter chapter one, starting in, in verse uh, six, it says this: "You rejoice in this." Let me stop there. <laughs> it's gonna be a long morning. You rejoice in this. What what is he saying? So he's saying you need to rejoice. There's that rejoicing is an extreme joy that is expressed uh, externally. Okay, so that's the fancy word for it. It's getting excited. It's celebrating. So sitting at home right there, right now, what do you have to be excited for today? What is it that you are rejoicing about? Throw that in the comments. Throw that in the comments. Encourage other people. What is it that you are rejoicing about this morning? But but Peter says, I want you to rejoice in this. In what? What is he? What is the this? If you remember last week, we talked about our bigger boat. As difficult as things were, as difficult as things were going to get, as hard as the persecution was going to be, as hard as the days were going to be, we have a bigger boat. We have been mercied. I mean, that's the only reason we really have hope, folks. I mean, there is no good behavior that's going to get us accepted in God's eyes because God doesn't demand that we be good. He demands that we be perfect. And bad news, none of us are perfect which actually turns into good news because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you're not a sinner, then he didn't come to save you. So we praise God for the mercy that he has dumped out on us. He, he came and the only reason that we have hope is because he has given us mercy. So, so you rejoice in mercy. You rejoice in the living hope that you have, the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. And we're going to talk about that again uh, a little bit later in this passage. You rejoice in the inheritance that you have, the fact that you and Jesus are joint heirs, that you are co-heirs, that you get the same stuff at the reading of the will. You rejoice in the fact that your inheritance is permanent. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's never going away. This inheritance is yours forever. Not only that, your inheritance is protected by God. He is holding it in heaven for you. He hasn't handed it to you yet. Why? Because if he gave it to you, you would lose it. And so God is keeping it for you. And and probably more mind-blowing than that, God's not just keeping your inheritance for you. He is shielding you. He's guarding you. He's protecting you so that at that glorious day when you come into eternity, you you are followed all, you, you, you go right to the place where your inheritance is and you get to have it. So Peter says, I want you to rejoice in all of these things, rejoice in this, your mercy, the living hope, your inheritance that is protected, uh, that is permanent, that the fact that, that God guards you. I want you to celebrate those things, rejoice in those things, even though, and that's what the passage goes on to say, doesn't it? Verse six, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith and the salvation of your souls. Peter says, rejoice in this, even though 
there are trials, even though there are trials. And he talks a little bit about the trials. He says there, there's a there's various, that doesn't mean number, that means in kind, okay? The, 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 the same word is used uh, to describe the skin of a leopard. Okay, that's it's various. It's different. There's there's a lot of different things going on there. And for you and I, to be honest, trials come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And I, I don't know. I, maybe this isn't something that you put in the comments. Maybe this is a little too personal. If you'd like to share it, share it. But think about the current trial you find yourself in. Think about the difficulty that you're going through right now. Maybe maybe it's physical. Maybe you are just in constant pain. You're suffering sickness. There's, there's an ailment or disease that is, is chronic and constant for you. And that's, that's the trial that's just, that's weighing you down during this time. Maybe it's financial. Maybe, maybe you've lost your job through the pandemic. <laughs> maybe you've been placed on furlough. Maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with the pandemic, but even before this, you have accumulated so much debt that you are drowning and you don't see any way out. You have no idea how to change it. Maybe that's your trial. Maybe it's about relationships. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of your relationships are experiencing extreme friction. Maybe you're lacking those meaningful relationships that would bring vitality to your life. Maybe, maybe it's about your children. Maybe you have older kids and they've walked away from Christ. Maybe, maybe they're living a life that, uh, is just destructive and you're watching all that play out and you don't know what to do. Maybe, maybe your children are experiencing their own trials. And as mom and dad, you're carrying the burden, the weight of seeing them struggle and limp through life. Maybe, maybe your trial is marital. Maybe you're just not finding peace at home. Instead of being joy and respite, there's anger and bitterness and bickering a source of frustration maybe your marriage has become instead of a safe relationship has become anything but safe maybe your trial is expectations maybe the reality is you're not getting what you think that you, you thought you would get maybe your hope's been deferred maybe your dreams are unrealized whatever those might be maybe maybe your trial is spiritual there's a distance between you and God. You're struggling. Um, just struggling. You feel like God's not answering. You feel like uh, you feel like you're at the short end of the stick constantly. I don't know what your trial is. But Peter tells us the types of trials we go through, there, there's a variety of them. They're so different. But they are what he says, they're painful. He, he says in verse 6, you are suffering grief in various trials. That word grief is this deep-seated feeling of, of heaviness. It's an emotion of sadness, of pain, of sorrow. This, 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 it ain't fun in games, okay? It, it's, it's not fun in games. It's real and it hurts. That's the same word that's used for the, the one who mourns the death of a loved one. It's actually, uh, the same word that's used, um, to describe the disciples. When Jesus told them that one of them was going to betray him, the disciples kind of went individually one by one and asked, is, is it me? And it says that they were sorrowful. They were full of grief. They were heavy and weighed down with that question. Is it me? Am I going to betray you? Um, you have to excuse me a second. I have to sneeze. I'm going to try to blow out the microphone. 
God bless me. <laughs> my trial is trying to do a video without being interrupted and sneezing all the time. So God bless allergies. Paninis. There you go. And if you didn't watch last week, you have no idea what that means. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, for all of you helping me say peonies. I, I, I've learned how to say the word. Have, many of you have sent me pictures of your peonies. Um, our peonies exploded this week, so praise God. That's free. Anyway, <laughs> trials, their variety. It's, it's a ton of them. See, I just want to make you feel like you're back at church. This is, this is who I am. So the, the trials are a variety. They, there are all kinds of sorts and types, and these trials bring great pain. Um, and that one of the things I think we need to remember is that each trial is real and painful to each person who's going through it. I can look at your trial and be like, come on, get over it, Buck. That's, that's really not that big of a deal. But, but in reality, the trials that we experience are very real to us. And Galatians 6 says that I'm supposed to come and, and help you carry your burden. And I, and I think what helping carry your burden looks like is pointing you to the, to what the passage is talking about today, the divine paradox of being a Christian who grieves through various trials and yet is able to continue to rejoice. Because that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, okay, you rejoice in this, even though you're going through various trials that bring amount of grief. So, so, so what I, what I want to point you to is that we are to be different. We are to be different and we can be different. We are able to rejoice through seasons of trial. How? Well, that's how I want to help you today. Peter tells us, you rejoice in this even though for a short time. One of the ways that we uh, rejoice through seasons of trial is we must remember that they are just for a little while. Now, admittedly, that's our least favorite unit of time. I don't know about you and your family, but man, people get tested. It's like, I'll be there in a little bit. When are we going to eat? In a little while. What are we? <laughs> no, it's our least favorite unit of time. And yet that's the unit of time that Peter uses to describe our trials. It's just for a little while. It's just for a short time. That reminds us, okay, there's an end coming to it. it ain't going to last forever. It reminds us that now, and it doesn't mean that the, the waiting is going to be easy, but there is a definite end there. It's the reminder, and what Peter's going back to here is what he did in our very first week in First Peter. He's reminding us that we're strangers here. We're exiles. This isn't our home. This isn't where we permanently exist. And so this is just for a short time. We are just passing through. So whatever your trial may be, you need to remember, as 2 Corinthians 4 says, this is just a momentary affliction. There is a much bigger storyline than this. This is just a little time. So how do we rejoice through seasons of trial? We're reminded that these things only last for a little time. We're reminded that these trials are in the capable hands of God. There's an important phrase that often gets skipped over in this passage, and yet it is vital for us to wrestle with, to grasp, and to understand. You rejoice in this, verse 6, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. If necessary. So, Christian, if you are going through a trial, rest assured, the Almighty, omniscient, omnipotent one has deemed it necessary. It ain't karma. It's not fate. 
It's not the universe paying you back. It's not uh, happenstance or coincidence. These things are happening, as we spoke about two weeks ago, according to the foreknowledge of God. And he has decided that these things are a divine necessity for you. And I know that's hard to wrap your head around, man. Think about some of the difficult trials that you've been through. For me, it really is looking at the trials that some of you have been through. And that's hard for me to grasp. Well, why? How, how is that necessary? But what I'm reminded of is this. If God is truly omniscient and omnipotent, and he is, then if I had his abilities, and then that's scary. But if I had, had God's omniscience, if I had uh, God's omnipotence, so I had all of his wisdom and knowledge and all of his power and abilities to do anything I wanted, I wouldn't change anything about my life. Now, with the wisdom that I have and the inability that I have, there's a lot of things that I would change in my perspective. But if I had the perspective of God seeing the end from the beginning, existing outside of time and understanding exactly what every trial was going to bring me to, I would look at my life with the greatest wisdom, the the complete wisdom, the omniscient wisdom of God, and I would say, perfect. Although, admittedly, struggle with that a little bit right now, right? But, but in God's fully capable hands, these trials are a divine necessity. Not only are they for a short time, not only are they in God's capable hand, but they are for a purpose. They're for a, a purpose. He, he, he says, so that, verse, verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Please understand, these, these trials are not necessarily punishment. Yes, God does discipline those who he loves. But, but that's not what Peter's talking about here. Peter is talking about, um, the, these trials that are for a specific purpose. That, the, the idea of punishment is, is really a worldview that was, was, common back then. And I think it's even common today. You got Job's friends looking at Job like, the only reason you would go through any of this, Job, is if you were a terrible sinner. And obviously you have like stabbed somebody and nobody knows because there's no reason God would rain down this type of judgment on you. And Job's comment is, I am a sinner, but I don't think I did anything to deserve this. You you go to the New Testament, you look at the disciples, they see a man who was born blind and they ask Jesus, okay, wait, who sinned? Was it him? Or was it his parents? Because we know sin brings about disability like that. And Jesus had to fix their thinking. And that's that our thinking needs to be fixed as well. The, the purpose of trials in this specific instance is not for discipline. The purpose of these trials is so that the Holy Spirit would continue to mature and mold and shape and sharpen and sanctify us. He, he compares it to the process of refining refining gold. Now, I'm not a goldsmith by any stretch. Um, let me put my coffee cup down without shattering it. Give me a second. Sorry. All right. So I'm not a goldsmith by any stretch. Um, but in my brief reading and understanding is that a, a goldsmith will heat gold up to 1900 degrees Fahrenheit so that it burns off the impurities and purifies the, the precious metal, the gold. And he'll continue to add heat to it and heat to it until all of the impurities have been burnt off. And, and I read somewhere, um, that in fact, the, the, he knows he's finished purifying the gold when he can see his reflection in it. Okay. And Peter compares this sanctifying and maturing process in us to that um, um, uh, refining process of, of gold. So, so the trials that God employs are the fiery tool to burn away 
the impurities of our faith. Now listen, there's a lot of impurities in our faith. We believe some stupid things. I'm just going to be honest. We, we not only believe some stupid things, we're ignorant of the fact that we believe some stupid things. Let me continue that even further. Not only do we believe stupid things and are ignorant of the fact that we believe stupid things, we grab onto things and think that they are the best when in fact what we're doing is shunning God and worshiping idols. Uh, John Newton, the, the fellow who wrote Amazing Grace. Um, great song. Um, great hymn. A couple of great old hymns. The tunes are a little wackadoo, but the, <laughs> the words are amazing. So, hey, in the comments, you're sitting there. Got to give you a little bit of a break here. Uh, what's your favorite hymn? What's your favorite old hymn? Not modern worship song, but what's your favorite hymn? So so one of my favorite hymns, not, not the music. So if you look it up, you're going to be like, wow, Frank listens to some weird music. Eh. The words to this hymn are amazing. It's John Newton's hymn, I Asked the Lord. I Asked the Lord. And, and, and the, the gist of it is this. It's a conversation between somebody and God. And this somebody says, okay, I asked God that, that he would help me grow in faith, in love, and in grace. It's a good request, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's a God-honoring and pleasing request. And so I said, God, help me grow in those things. And God's answer was almost too difficult to handle. He brought trials. He brought difficulties. He brought hardships. And at times he was silent. And the, the, the narrator says, I, I felt betrayed. In that moment, all the evils, the hidden evils of my heart were suddenly being felt. Every pain that I experienced was being aggravated by God. And it was all because I asked God to help me grow. What, what kind of nonsense is that? Why would, why would you do this, God? And God answers him, I did this to free you from your pride and from yourself. I did this to break your grip on the earthly things that you have allowed to take my place. I have done this so that you would find your all, not in anything or anyone else, but that you would find your all and all in me. The trials are for a purpose, to burn away those impurities of our faith. The trials train us to grab onto him tightly and to loosen our grip on everything else. It gets rid of our false hopes, our false beliefs, our Christian in name only. It gets rid of the easy believism. Okay, to what end? To what end? I mean, I'm sure that's awesome that our faith gets purified and it becomes something, but, but what, what, what does it do? Well, it's interesting because he, he says, he says that this happens so that the proven character of your faith, the proven character of your faith, so, so the nature and the character of your faith can be revealed, can be proven, that the genuineness of your faith can be displayed to who? To who? Ask yourself that question. Think about that for a second. So that the proven genuineness of your faith can be revealed to God? I mean, does he not know? Is that the one thing in this entire world that God is veiled from, right? He can't tell what's really happening in your heart. He can't really tell what your faith is. So what he does is he allows these trials into your life to squeeze you in a very holy way so that what's inside of you comes out and then it is evident to him and God can tell what kind of faith you really have, what kind of character you have, what kind of integrity you actually have. And the answer is no, it ain't God. He knows. See, these trials are employed in your life to reveal the genuineness of your faith to you. Not to humiliate you, 
not even really to show you who you are. He does it, the squeeze, the holy squeeze, he does it to show you who you are in Jesus Christ. A sinner with real faith. Your, your soul gets stirred up in the storm and, 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 and you don't even know what's actually there until it all gets kicked up and all of a sudden it's, it's right there for you to deal with. Uh, and, and, and I'll, I'll be careful, but, um, the last few weeks I've had that happen in my own life. There have been things that I'm seeing and I'm trying to identify them as fast as I can see them and, and, and it's surprising me and not in a good way. And it's reminding me of some of the things I need to, to bore down into and fix and yield. <laughs> But, but I wouldn't know they were there if there weren't dif- wasn't difficulty, if there weren't trials in my life. It's, it's kind of like walking to my tree stand when I hunt. Dumb example, but just bear with me. Um, the, the, I usually go out about an hour and a half before sunrise. Um, I learned from an obsessive compulsive hunter, so I'm, I'm always in my stand earlier than I should be. <laughs> but it's pitch blackout. And it's actually really peaceful and really beautiful. I'm walking out with a headlamp, um, the Cyclops lamp, and I got a flashlight. But it doesn't matter if I have a headlamp and a flashlight. If there is a bird hiding in a bush and I kick it up, I disturb it and it flies, it scares the snot out of me. I mean, there is no question. It just terrifies me. It, it, it causes my heart rate to elevate. It, it, it creates an angst in me. I start to sweat, which is not a good thing when you're in the woods like that, but it, it's terrifying to me. I wouldn't have known the bird was there if I didn't disturb its environment. The same thing happens. You don't know what's in your faithful soul until it gets disturbed and you get to see what comes out of you. Now, that's all fine and good, but it gets even better than that. that. These trials in your life are to purify, to burn off the impurities uh, of, of your faith and create a pure faith. It's to reveal the genuineness of your faith, the character and integrity of your faith to you, but it gets even better than that. Look at, look, look at what he says. He says, so that the proven character of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, buckle up. This happens so that the proven character of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus returns. God allows these trials in our soul to refine us and to purify our faith so that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, you, you receive praise honor, and glory from Jesus Christ himself. I mean, this verse is a picture of Zephaniah 3. He is going to rejoice over you with gladness. He's going to quiet you with his love. And when you come into his presence, I get goosebumps every time I say it, God is going to delight in you with singing. You're going to walk into the room and God's going to begin singing your song. He's going to begin celebrating the fact that you are present with him because he loves you like that. This is Matthew chapter 25, when, 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 when you come into his presence and Jesus looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, it's not because of what you accomplished, it's because of the character of your faith, the integrity of your belief, the genuineness of your faith that's been developed by trials. And be honest, man, those trials can take the wind out of you, can't they? I mean, they, they can knock you down and you just don't feel like running the race anymore. So you stop running, you fall to your knees and you're crawling, you're bloody, you're sweaty, you're gross. You are just dragging your sorry self across the course instead of running. But because of the character of your faith, 
because you're continuing that journey, although it may be on your hands and knees. When you get to that finish line, somebody's waiting for you. And it's not with one of those metallic blankets. Jesus is waiting right there with open arms to wrap you in an embrace and to say, well done. See, that's that's why you can rejoice during trials because you understand what your living hope really is. And don't sell it short. Don't, don't sell it short. It's, it's not, and hear this clearly, because some of you may freak out when you hear this at first. It's not just an empty tomb. Okay? Our living hope is more than just an empty tomb. The empty tomb really was God's heavenly wink and nod like, well, yeah, I got this. I mean, it's more than just an empty tomb. Our living hope is that the one who conquered death and the grave, the one who left the tomb behind, is going to return one day. And our living hope is going to become a living reality, and we will see Jesus face to face. And think about that for a minute. Peter, say, Peter, Peter actually is doing a Frankism, or maybe I'm doing a Peterism, whatever, in verses 8 and 9. He said, think about this for a minute. I know, okay, we're going to take the, you think you got it now. Just wait. Look at verse 8. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. You rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, just wait till you see him. Wait till you see him. You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. All of that is already happening in you before you see him. Wait till you get to spend eternity with him. Wait till you get to sit at his feet. Wait till you get to see his eyes. You get to see his smile. You get to hear those precious words come out of his mouth. Just wait See, we're different. We're different. We have grief and sorrow. But in the middle of that grief and sorrow, we can have joy because our joy isn't anchored in our current situation. Our joy is anchored in the fact that Jesus overcame sin. My joy is anchored in the fact that Jesus overcame my sin. And one day he'll return. And one day I'll see him face to face. And because of these trials that he has allowed into my life to burn off the impurities of my faith, I will have a faith that is acceptable in the eyes of my Savior, Jesus Christ. We can rejoice during seasons of grief, knowing that the most important aspect of our lives has been taken care of by a Savior who loves us, who mercied us, and who's going to return. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for difficulties. I say that, I'll be honest, you know it already. I don't know that I believe that right this second. But God, I pray I would learn to have a faith that the current difficulties and trials are really for my benefit and necessary. Lord, I ask that my faith would continue to be purified. I pray for my brother and sister who will be watching this today. Lord, I ask you would give them grace and strength for the moment. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.